This is the VIP Podcast, Virginia in Politics. Let's listen to host Chris Saxman explore the personalities and policies that connect the Commonwealth. The VIP Podcast is brought to you by the VCTA, Broadband Association of Virginia, and Virginia Free. The views and opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the VCTA and Virginia Free or our sponsors. All right, this is Chris Saxman on the VIP podcast, Virginia in Politics podcast, brought to you by VCTA, the uh, Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free, of which I am the executive director, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, pro-business organization here in Virginia since 1988. And joining me now, after that long-winded introduction of myself <laughs> in this program, is Susan Swecker, the chair of the Democratic Party of Virginia. Susan, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Chris. I'm really happy to be here. Well, what most people don't understand about politics in Virginia is that it happens every day. And we've been doing this daily now for the last 30 years, you and I, and we, we date back to our, we don't date back, you go back. <laughs> that's to, how rumors get started. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I always love that. Did you hear this, is there a rumor? I always love when people call me, is there a rumor going around about this? I'm like, yeah, there is a rumor going around about this. It's still a rumor. <laughs> doesn't, right. There's any validity to it. But you've been, you know, we've been involved in politics, you, you and I, since at least since, since my early days in 1992, back in the Shenandoah Valley. And um, part of my district was Highland County, and you're from Highland County. How does Susan Swecker from Highland County become chairman or chair of the Democratic Party of Virginia for so many years and be so successful at it? How did you get to where you are? Yeah, that's a uh, yeah. I hadn't really thought about that. Not unclear. I'm not sure. But can I just say something real quick first? Yeah, sure. Like our families have known each other way before you you ever ran for office or oh, yeah. anything like that. So it's really neat that we had a relationship going back. I was friends, close friends with your mother, and uh, God bless her soul, and I miss her a lot. But I just want to. I just think our relation. You know, it's because people will say in this hyper partisan atmosphere. Now, like, you know, how can you talk to that person? How do you, who <laughs> is that? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Why would you he's, my, he's my buddy, you know, right. he's my buddy. But you're right. And, I, and you did such great work uh, for Highland County. I know you have a family home there, too, and really got to know the folks. And we feel like you're one of ours. So oh, I you're, do. you're I, in office or you're not. Yeah, no, uh, every, every, uh, every election night, uh, the night before the election, I would go to the farm in, in Highland and wake up and go to the uh, polling precincts in Highland County and I, I would walk into one in Bluegrass and they're like, what are you doing here? Yep. This is Bluegrass. I'm like, I want to say thank you for, for you being here mm -hmm. at six o'clock in the morning to man the polls. And that and, means something. And that means something because they're like, yeah, it does. It's, it's yeah. this is volunteer work, but we do this because we love our country. Yep. And, uh, it's a, it's a, and that's one of the things I, I love about where we came from. Well, and they're very proud. I mean, they have one of the highest uh, turnout rates every year. I mean, just oh, consistently. Yeah. But I would say, how did I, how did, you know, yeah, how'd you get Allen here? County, I, mean, I mean, what got and, you into politics? And uh, let's start with that. You know, um, I've thought about that a lot. Um, and I think we were in that a family that just talked about politics. Of course, when I was growing up, at first I wanted to be a journalist. That's what I thought I wanted oh. to be. Um, but I read an article in Newsweek, which I got out of the public library. Wouldn't you know? We didn't not in our school library. Not we didn't have a public library then, believe right. it or not. And they they did say, oh, there's this new degree coming up. It's called political science. So that kind of sparked me. But also, I remember um, watching. Um, I was an R, um, Robert Kennedy follower as a young okay. kid, and it just it gutted our whole family when he was assassinated. Right. And um, I remember going up to our neighbors, the Puffenbargers, the Sugar Orchard people. They oh, yeah. were our friends and oh, yeah. still are. But, and they had the color TV. We watched Robert Kennedy's funeral service 
oh, wow. on at their home because they had the color TV. We are right, right, right. black and white. And I don't know, I really think way back in those days, there was just something there. He was so inspiring to young people, you know, and that call to action and that call to service that I always was interested in politics, but still, you know, I'm a kid in a, you know, rural area like that. How do you get right. involved? But, you know, my family talked about it. It was something we, we, we just talked about all the time. And then I just kind of got really interested in it. And when I went to Mary, well, went to Mary Baldwin, uh, I was kind of the kid that hung around the headquarters. Okay. And started volunteering and showing up and, it was a, so you know, it was, just, it was a yeah. form of socialization for you. Yeah, it was exactly. It was a connecting point exactly. for you. And I was really lucky in that I got embraced by a whole lot of people that, you know, meant a lot to me, but, you know, have maintained and have longtime friendships with them today. So they pretty scooped me up, brought me in. And um, I, there was a special election uh, after the 1970, I really date myself now, but the year that Marshall Coleman won attorney general, he had been state senator. So 77? I believe. Okay. And Frank Nolan, who he had beaten for the state senate, came back and ran and won state senate. Yeah, and yeah. Frank asked me to go to Richmond to be his legislative aide. And I was really? Like, Whoa, this is huge. That's a big, yeah. okay. Okay, now, now I'm catching up to the timeline yeah. here. But let's talk about that early, um, those moments with, with RFK because what people lose in the timeline of 1968 mm -hmm. was the fact that Johnson was very unpopular, right. running for re-election, uh, was starting to get challenged in the mm -hmm. primaries, and I think it was New Hampshire when Bobby Kennedy got in, and it was, it, later, yeah. it, was it was like March. It was like, but mm -hmm. I think it was later in the cycle than it, it would be today. Oh, much later. But no it was, one started it was, anything until yeah. Ground shock, ground mm -hmm. shock kind of stuff because mm -hmm. obviously the, the legacy of JFK and RFK in the '60s, and then April Martin Luther King gets shot. And then Bobby Kennedy gets shot in June in Los Angeles. And that was a revolutionary time in America. This is leading into the convention in Chicago. Mm -hmm. But what was it about the, was it the idealism of Bobby mm -hmm. Kennedy or the turn away from Johnson and the negativity of uh, Vietnam? What was right, it? Right, I was gonna say, so you also had the, Viet the Vietnam, you had you know a lot of you know just d division in our country <laughs> that was like, but I, and again, you just remember, I'm in a rural county and I'm following it from afar. I'm in a rural county that had one black couple, you know, that were very, very white. And I'm following this, you know, from afar. I'm not right. in the middle of it. Even you, Chris, in Stanton or something, like, you know, you, you see a little, you know, a little bit more of it, right? And yeah, a little but more the valley, what people don't understand about the valley is that the Mountain Valley Republicans, a far more right. moderate branch of the Republican Absolutely. Party, you know, that, mm -hmm. that part of Virginia and that part of the South didn't have Correct. the racial unrest that the Eastern part did. And we didn't have the plantations. We were small itinerant farmers. Mm -hmm. We took care of ourselves, very independent minded. Remember I mean, the movie I mean, Shenandoah, I mean, with Jimmy Stewart was. I mean, the yeah. Scots Irish who populated mm -hmm. the, the Shenandoah Valley, they're a very independent yeah. group of people. And that's deeply embedded in our soul. We're, mm -hmm. we're an independent group. Yeah. You, I mean, even though we're you know, Democrat Republican, within our own ranks, we're pretty independent minded. Yes. That, yeah, goes, exactly. that goes back to those roots in the valley. Agreed. And I think, you know, for me, my parents were big JFK people. And okay. I remember, um, and I bet your mama did too, but I remember, you know, my mother dressing like Jackie Kennedy and, well, you know, know, having the pillbox hat and, yeah, and, the, you know, they all, I, I just, I just, well, they were remember. iconic. Yes, right? I mean, they were and instantly iconic. They were a young couple, right? But they were that's, instantly iconic. And yes. that's, that's hard to wrap your head around mm -hmm. that th these people, I icons are, are, are built over time. The Kennedys mm -hmm. and Jackie O were like that. Yeah. And they they like reset the entire country. 
Yeah, I agree. And then, so then, you know, that was, I was fairly young when JFK was assassinated, but I, you know, again, you're around, your parent, you know, follow it. Sure, and, sure. but then Robert, there was just something about his, I, to me, he was inspiring to young people. Like that was, you know, he had that hair, you know, the tossled hair, that energy, uh, all those pack of kids. I it mean, was different. Just, he was more, he was more it, he was closer it, to you in age anyway. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. could identify with him. Yeah. Was, was that, was that, we're talking about political identity these days. Is that, is that a form of political identity when you can when you can look at someone who's closer in age? You, like, of course, I close more closely yeah. align myself with them because I'm closer to them in age yeah. than you know a Lyndon Johnson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just think people, you know, it was a very divided time. I mean, I think LBJ did, you know, did a lot of good, but the Vietnam War just, um, you know, it, he couldn't get couldn't get out of that, and he right. didn't, you know, he inherited some of that too, and had bad advice, but like. He did look, you know, I look at him now, and he died when he was 65, but he looked older than Isn't that right? amazing when you, when you think about when Lyndon Johnson, yeah. how young he really was yeah. by today's standards? And I mean, even in our that, small... I mean, I, I'm struck by that, because he does not look 65 in today's 65. Correct. Correct. And that was a, and, was that a further distancing from you and the older generation? Because that was really the, the, the counterculture at the time, yeah. the 60s, was this turn from the past did, yeah. and the division of the moment going, we've got to do something else. We've got to branch out and seek that better. Yeah, and I just think it was just like you said, it was soul crushing uh, that summer, '68, spring and summer, really? with Martin Luther King and um, and and Bobby Kennedy, and as you know, a young, you know, almost teenager, you know, you're going, you know, kind of scared about what what the world's going to come right. and what's going to happen, kind of right. like you are now. <laughs> well, okay, let's talk. Let's and that's one of the reasons I enjoy teaching history so much is that you can make history relevant to today. Mm -hmm. And when you're teaching high school kids and you're trying to get them excited about the 17th century, you have to come up with something, right? Mm -hmm. You have to say, here are people's stories and mm -hmm. why it's relevant today is because what they experience exactly what you're experiencing. And they kind of mm -hmm. go, how, how is this the same thing? Mm -hmm. And you explain, they go like, oh my gosh, I get it now. So let's talk about the division today in our country. Mm -hmm. We are deeply divided. Even within our own parties, there are deep divisions growing. Yeah. Talk about that in the Democratic Party and how you're able to, um, I don't want to say maintain control, but maintain balance and yeah. effectiveness in the Democratic Party in Virginia as it's changing so rapidly. Yeah, it really has. I mean, the Virginia, Virginia itself, the landscape has changed. And uh, I think it took us all about a little bit by surprise in 17 with, um, you know, the big the, almost taking back the House of Delegates. But but I think that one of the things and, and we are deeply divided. I mean, everybody has an opinion and everybody it seems like people are much more angry about everything and have a lot of angst and that opportunity. You know, I grew up, again, like the time I came down here, those years, young years as a legislative aide, I wish I'd appreciated them more. Mm -hmm. I look back on it now because I was at the seat of, and allowed to sit at the seat of a whole lot of, and watch a lot of legislation being made and stories being told. And the Democrats and Republicans, there was a lot of camaraderie. You know, there was a lot of socialization you went to dinner together, you know, lay aides were often, uh, receptions, aides were often invited along. You might fault during the day, but it was sort of like Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill. You know, they fought like cats and dogs, but then right. President Reagan would have Tip O'Neill, Speaker of the House, over for a drink afterwards. Right. Right. I mean, it was that. It was fair, you know, it was that. It wasn't this sort of, I'm where, where never going to you. Where have we lost that? I, Why you know, did honestly, we lose that? I, I think there, I think so, the, the, um, Social network has had a lot to do with that because you can sit, social media. Social media, you can sit on whatever platform you're on, say whatever you want about somebody that you would never ever dare say 
to their face. And I think another sad component is um, our Capitol Press Corps decimation of that all across mm. the country. If you look at you know, where we were, let's say when Mark Warner, Mark Early ran the, the statewide in 2001. If we would have had that kind of robust press corps, uh, Glenn Youngkin would have had to talk to the press. He wouldn't <laughs> have gotten by with hiding out or just going on Fox News yeah. and talking to right wing. Bob Melton would here. never have. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> and it yeah. would have mattered. But it, it does matter. And I talk to Republican operatives now. They're like, what do I care what's in the Washington Post and Richmond Times Dispatch? Mm. Our voters don't read it. And they, don't they are right. It. They are correct. So we're all only talking to our own people. Right. Whether it's Fox News or MSNBC or whatever like venue. And I honestly don't listen. Somebody says you got to listen to them all. That's what Mark Warner, like listen to them all. And I, got, I don't listen to any of them. I just want to make up my own mind. I want Walter Cronkite back. I know those are the old days that are not going to come back, but well, just but, give but me I think, the news. But, I mean, you know, obviously Cronkite's going to come back, but, but people who can bridge that divide are absolutely critically important to our health as a republic. And, Correct. I mean, when I see, and, on, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn guns here on the left, but recent examples, uh, and, the, and the right does this too. We eat our own, and but the left's current, yeah. the left's current buffet is composed of Whoopi Goldberg and Joe Rogan, and they are people of the left. I mean, Joe mm -hmm. Rogan was a Bernie Sanders supporter. Whoopi Goldberg, you know, said mm -hmm. said really dumb things, just ill-informed things, yes. and apologized, and is still, you know, suspended yeah. for two weeks. I think that's abhorrent. Well, I also think let's get to what's important too. I mean, we've got we've got big issues out there and big things that are important to families all across Virginia and all across this country. And we do, you know, I, I just think we spend too much time both sides on the culture wars. Absolutely, we talk we, about we what we can, have. yeah. But that, but and that's, that's because that's divisive, and that makes money for networks. No, it's, it's, it makes money for oh, consultants. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but my point is, what is this fascination we have with social media and the internet and not talking to one another, right. just not even across the divide, Correct. but to our fellow man on the street, mm -hmm. in the elevator, uh, on the yeah. street corner, and just having, you know, just being human. Basic, basic courtesy. Basic courtesy. Yeah. And, and, I don't, and it happened, we... and it happened very swiftly, it seems like to me, that we went to that place. Now, look. I know everybody gets tired talking about Donald Trump, but I think he was an impetus for a lot of it to get that was simmering out there. All of this was division. he the impetus or just the final? Maybe the, the final, the final the, lit the, final, the fire that like really. I mean, it was, blew a, it, it, was a, it was a it was a it was a rolling simmer. Correct. Before that, and then they went to ten on the on the gas That's on that one, and it just went. He uh, validated it to a lot of people and made it okay. And um, you know, to me, that's. Heartbreaking. It's been personally heartbreaking for me, Chris, because it has, um, you know, I've been estranged from some of my family now as a result of all of this and mm. a lot of a thought of being it? harassed and trolled and yeah. on on social media and oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's painful. Now I've, I've, you know I've lost friends. Mental, like health, friend mental friends. health is not worth. It. Yeah, not like exactly friends on Facebook. Yeah. Friends, but real friends, friend, real friends you grew mm -hmm. up with, mm -hmm. came of age together, and they unfriend you on social media. You're like, dude, what's the problem? Right. I mean, do you know what we went through together? And mm -hmm. you don't even call. Yeah. You just assume that all the conversations we had growing up right. have no merit today, have no validity in our conversation and our relationship. Mm -hmm. But we so identify with these political binary realities. And even though you mm -hmm. chair one of those one of those elements, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's still unhealthy. 
Well, I mean, I, I'm, I subscribe to that, you know, theory of, and it was something President Clinton, you know, used to say, you know, I'm not, and I can't, I can't word it like he did, but it was like, basically, you know, I have my opinions, but I'm not mad at anybody. Right. You know, and, right. and, and so I just think that touch is kind of, are we you getting know, angrier kind of as a people? Mm-hmm. Angrier? Well, I think, let me just say, I, you know, I think this is an opportunity where this new governor, Glenn Youngkin, you know, he says he wants to be a uniter. So let me give you an example on that, but you can't be a uniter and 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 then talk about CRT as something. And I don't want to get into like CRT exists or that, but you know we know it doesn't exist. And you know divisive concepts well, taught in the, schools. The, whether it's, and, whether it exists or not, or whether it's taught in schools or whether it's implemented as a management strategy, are all different constructs. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah but I'm just saying, if you want to be an, a uniter, then you don't start out on day one issuing executive orders that are divisive. You know, you don't like, so which, I'm just trying to figure out which one he is. Right. So, but he has an opportunity. He has a op- real opportunity here. Right. You know, so are you the affable, vest wearing, basketball bouncing <laughs> fella that people voted for, 55% electra high turnout? Um, or are you the guy that really just goes on to Fox News and John Fredericks and, you know, plays to your far right wing of the party? We need leaders running the country, running um, states uh, that will represent everybody, sure. not just fringe elements. Sure. Um, and and I, I guess in that in that frame of a conversation, and we all see political leaders, because we only have two parties, essentially, mm-hmm. in this country, yeah. it's easy to go, see, your guy's doing it poorly. But when our guy does it poorly, we're not going to say anything. Yeah, yeah. One of the the great faults in our society and our political system is the inability or the lack of fortitude to call out our own. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, would be a far healthier construct politically. If we were to say, look, look, you just can't talk to someone like that. You just can't say these things. Mm -hmm. You can, but you shouldn't be allowed to. It's inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And, and, And really, I don't think we have the wherewithal as a society anymore to back that up because mm-hmm. everyone turns and feasts on them. Like the point I brought up, and again, it's not directed at the left per se, but when you turn on Whoopi Goldberg or Joe Rogan, who, okay, they, they and I, I've been listening to the Joe Rogan podcast with mm-hmm. Robert Mullen, and I'm going, okay. I don't even thing. know. I never knew who Joe Rogan was until right. this all happened, but okay. I mean, I didn't, I, didn't, <laughs> I mean, I might have listened to a couple podcasts, but now I downloaded Spotify. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if, there, if someone's this upset, it must be interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to be a part of the conversation, yeah, gotcha. but I look at, and I listen to the podcast, I'm like, why, why are people trying to cancel this guy? Why are people trying to cancel Whoopi Goldberg? And Republicans do it to their own, too. Yeah. I mean, you're a rhino if you don't support Donald Trump on everything all the time. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. insane. We don't do that mm-hmm. with our own family members. We don't mm-hmm. support, like, to your point, yeah. you know, we're not going to be in lockstep with our own family members. Right. And people are now turning against their own family members mm-hmm. on a political basis. Mm-hmm. Like, they can't have a conversation with people they literally grew up with, share the same DNA, and have all the holiday, you know. Right. Shared a lot of, you know. Great, wonderful parts of our being. Correct. Correct. How do we turn that? Yeah, I mean, I just, I've, again, do you agree I we need to take, turn it, first of all? I think we have to turn it. I think it, our democracy depends on us turning it. Yeah. You know, I mean, because it weakens us yeah. as a country and it unstabilizes us. And I think that we still are in very perilous times. And I think it's incumbent on any of us to have a microphone yeah. or a leadership role to try to work to try to work towards that. I have always tried to be fair. Uh, in everything that I have done and and you know honest and I think you have too. like we approach yes. things that way and I think to you know we all have to just do our part but I do think and I, and, and look I think a lot of it comes from Congress and mm. and across the Potomac and you know 
we were slower to be nationalized, but we've you know we have been. we've been now. And but a lot of it comes from there. If it's just like I'm not going to vote for this because you know it's I'm because one party put it up or another. I mean, right. we're never. I mean, it, it, it's not it's not healthy. It's just not we healthy. Weakens us as a country. Right. And yeah. at the end of the day, when we finally. Because I've been talking to, uh, I guess the inauguration, you see a lot of you know, the former governors. You know, yeah, and you, yeah. And you go, and when they are able to step back, and I had breakfast with Bill Howell yesterday up in the former mm-hmm. speaker house up in Fredericksburg, Michelle, mm-hmm. we were up there shopping, we had breakfast. And he, you know that step back and the step back mm-hmm. from the step back, mm-hmm. you start realizing what's really important. Right. And what we were doing here while we were involved in politics and how you behave before and after, you realize mm-hmm. that that might not have been my best self. Mm-hmm. Uh, during those times, and upon reflection, if I were to say to the next generation, you know, you really should do this, what would you say to the legislative aides today who are watching this or listening to this, who might someday be Democratic Party chair in uh, in decades to come? Uh, how how should they behave, and what should they look out for the, for the health of the republic as well as the party? I would say get to know get to know your colleagues, not based on. Um, party, but just get to know your colleagues a little bit about them. Find out how you, you know, do you have a common ground? Do you like the same sports team? Do you, you know, did you grow up in the same area? I mean, what is your, you know, we all have some commonality there that we can, um, can agree on. And don't, you know, not everybody is a green-eyed monster. You know, no, let's 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 talk about that since I know you brought in uh, Jake here. And one of the things that Jake and I've bonded over the years, uh, uh, he was communications director, I think, for Terry McAuliffe, was the, was the fact we're both from Pittsburgh, we're both Steeler mm-hmm. fans because they're the best team in the in the country ever. Sorry, Bengals people. Yeah, when you win one, get back to us, and then we'll compare notes. Um, so let's talk about you know Susan Swecker and what kind of TV shows do you like. Who are you? And when you come, when you go home and kick off your heels and pour a glass of wine or something even better, what do you what do you like to watch? So I will tell you one funny fact that nobody will ever guess about me if they already didn't know. Our whole family is um, uh, we have four generations that have watched The Young and the Restless. <laughs> so popular. Nope, not on my radar screen. We are so pr- yeah, and so uh, that's kind of just a funny fun fact. But uh, but I like um, it. I just finished watching the the final half season of Ozark. You know, I like that. Okay, you, you like know, that's, Ozark. That's kind of that. But the other thing in the pandemic that actually it was Dorothy McAuliffe that that I had to watch. It was in the beginning of lockdown with Schitt's Creek. I like stuff that's funny. You that's, know, especially in that's in, that's my kids love that show. Yeah, After, it got I got it got a little pedantic for me. It's like okay, we get it. We're in a, you're, yeah. you can't just do too much here when you're in a, yeah. when you're in a hotel like this. But it's funny. Yeah, it's but it's, funny it's really show. funny. And and but I like you know in in the roles we have and stuff. I really like to um, you know relax and watch stuff that's like you don't have to think a whole lot about. Yeah, you know. Although I like all the uh, the Law and Order series. Okay, you know, they're sort of my go you know go tos as well. I mean, they've, they've stood the test of time. Well, that's the fun part, isn't it? What's your yeah. favorite movies that have stood your test of time? What do you go back to? What do so, you like to again, stupid stuff. Like, every year our family watches Chris, Chevy Chase Christmas Vacation. Okay. That's been on the list since, you know, forever. Um, you know, the book and also the movie To Kill a Mockingbird okay. was, you know, like... Um, very, very, uh, Im- you know, important as a young person. You Did know, that lead to your uh, involvement politically? And uh, no, not I don't. Okay. I, I can't say that I, I, I tie, you know, I tied it. You didn't see how the Kennedy but, as being the same. But person. no, 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 no not, like not, 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 
yeah, maybe subconsciously, but okay. yeah, but um, but I read a lot, and then you know, for like relaxation and stuff, I read like a lot of stuff like John Grisham, one of my favorite people, anyway. Okay, well, yeah. one of our good Democrats. Uh, I think his stuff is always good. David Baldacci is always good. Okay. Like, I, I like the Virginia people. I kind of mix it up. I'm um, I've got two books now. Oh, one. It's Harold um, Don Reed's book on the music of the Statler Brothers. No kidding. Yeah, I just got it. And, okay. Uh, then we'll my, plug in for Don Reed, a, yeah. a friend of our family for many years. And and then I've got another one. So I'm, I try to mix up, like okay. uh, from a guy named uh, John Delavolpe. You might know him. He's mm. got a book out about um, Gen Xers and the pressures that they are under, and and how uh, and millennials and how they're you know, compared to other, you know, generations. But story about John Del Lope is he's at Harvard now um, run, running the polling stuff there. He was a Biden pollster. Mm, okay. I gave him his first political job. Come on. In 1989, I got a call from somebody that I had known and said, I got a young man um, who wants to get involved in politics. And I was helping then Watkins Abbott, then a Democrat. And, and I was in law school and I was consulting and uh, I sent him down to Appomattox, where he lived with the um, Abbott family oh, yeah. and ran that campaign, and now he's big and famous. So wow. I'm very proud of him. Well, it sounds like you do a lot of reading. How much of your uh, oh. entertainment is, is reading mm-hmm. versus watching? You know what? The pandemic put me into watching more than reading, and I'm trying to get back to reading now. There was just something about that lockdown thing yeah. that, you know, was hard to focus, so it was easy Wasn't it? to just, yeah. It's an interesting perspective. Yeah. What about favorite sports teams? Well, I used to love the Washington, whatever we call them. And then Rangers. I come, yeah. And then, you know, this owner, it just kind of went, I kind of, we were always big Washington fans okay. growing up and everything. And, uh, and I had season tickets at one point and everything, but I wow. just like, just kind of just hated the way. I'm, I'm not a fan of Dan Snyder. <laughs> just, well, I don't st- want to say that. He might give me money. I don't know. I don't like, <laughs> well, he does, have a, he does have a stadium deal before yeah, the legislature right. this year. <laughs> so, have you been briefed on the stadium proposals? No, the legislation I haven't. No, I haven't. Okay. I haven't. Would you yeah. like to see them come to Virginia? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's done the right way. Sure. That's all. I, I'll leave that up to a lot smarter people than me. But sure, sure, I'd like to see. And I, I mean, look, I love the old days of, like, we were all, like, that was our weekends. Was, like, you'd go, to, you'd go to church and you'd come home and you'd either have lunch and watch the game or watch the game and you'd, you know, get a snack or whatever. That oh, was yeah. like our family time. Yeah, that was for a Steelers fan in the, in the in the Shenandoah Valley. It was hard because every right. Sunday the Redskins were on. We're like, oh, I don't want to watch the Redskins. Yeah. I'm not a Redskins fan. Yeah. But um, of course, I'm a big Virginia Tech fan. Swuckers are pretty okay. big Virginia you Tech are. people, so we follow follow that. Yeah, you're, you're looking forward to your first national championship, are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hope, hope remains. Hope remains. Right. <laughs> See, like a Bengals fan over here. He's got hope. <laughs> uh, so college sports. Uh, any other sports you follow? Uh, basketball, baseball, kind of randomly here and yeah, there, yeah. but nothing that I really. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, always yeah, watch the Olympics. Always yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. yeah, as much as I can. Right. You know, sure. as much as you can. It's a busy time yeah. of year. Yeah. Okay. But it's fun. It's fun to see. Well, let's talk about briefly. <laughs> let me get to the Democratic Party of Virginia. <laughs> how much time you have left? I know. But uh, your role as chair of the mm-hmm. Democratic Party of Virginia, seven years in. Mm-hmm. Uh, substantial staff operations. You've been moving mm-hmm. along. You lost an election there. I don't can't put it on anyone in in Virginia Democrats so much. Uh, a lot of this is driven by the national narrative. Yeah. Let's just be honest. You said earlier on our politics has been nationalized, and so too our mm-hmm. our state and local elections yeah. going to be nationalized. Where do you see the Democratic Party changing 
as a result of the, uh, the results of 2021. You know, Chris, when I came in as, as party chair, which was March of 20, 2015, seems like ooh, so many, yeah. so life, many lifetimes ago, but we were not in a position where we were financially um, stable. We relied on um, the governor's PAC, Governor McAuliffe, you know, to help subsidize us. And that had sort of been the trend over those, um, you know, some years. And one of my goals was to get us up in a financially stable position. We, we, we sold the headquarters down in Shaco uh, Slip. That was never really um, great oh, well, opening a welcoming place anyway for volunteers. Uh, and we moved up here across the street to the SunTrust building. And, um, and, we, and we hired a team that we began a very robust fundraising program to which we have been, you know, I'd say six months in, you know, to that on our own, like where we created right. an organization that uh, people had confidence in, donors had confidence in, and that my goal had always been that we had the infrastructure in place to stand the test of time, you know, so that we weren't dependent on one election cycle to right. another. Because when you get behind yeah. the Virginia elections, you don't catch up. Correct. That's a hard catch Correct. up. Correct. So as hard and, you know, painful as last November was, and it was, you know, we at least have the infrastructure in place to keep moving and keep right. going. And that's something that I'm very, very proud of. I mean, we we have 15 staff members. 15. That do, that do wow. like really important things. I have a good big um, uh, two-person political shop. I have a two-person digital, which is, I don't know, when I came in, digital wasn't even like, you know, fun, all of that was like not a thing. Now right. it's like a whole like separate, like, you right. know, important piece of it. Because because but, the news media, you got you to make your own news. You got to make well, your you own make stories. Your own news, but it's also a big piece of your fundraising component too. Sure, sure. You know, and being creative on that. But we have a voter protection uh, department. That was something. I hired the first voter protection director uh, for a state party in the country. Now, what is that? Year, what is voter protection? So it, it takes, and it, it comes, it comes and goes the size, but it's basically working with, um, um, you know, all over the, all over the state, working with local electoral boards, registrar's office, your party leaders to make sure that you know what's going on the ground, uh, sure. to make sure that voting is open and accessible. We worked, um, over these last years when we had the trifecta, to uh, come up with ideas. Sunday voting was one of the ideas that we had that Delegate mm -hmm. Bagby put in and passed last year as local option. And so some localities were able to have Sunday souls to the polls. Uh, but you know, a lot of the things, the 45 day absentee window, a lot of things we worked very hand in glove with our leaders on to make voting more open and accessible and something I'm very, very proud of. And uh, Kind of, kind of confused about uh, why Republicans want to roll it back, since I actually think it helped them win this election. This well, last yeah, year. <laughs> I, I've been curious myself, and having you know, sort of not in the political, the mm -hmm. party yeah. machinery anymore. I look back and I, I see these 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 bills coming. I'm like, okay, what's the rather than getting involved in what's you know, Democrats want this and Republicans want that. Like, what, what's what's a realistic restriction, or are should there be any restrictions on voting? And what are reasonable policies to go, yeah, that makes sense because, because I mean, look, if you have a 45-day window for, for absentee early voting, okay, fine. Is 44 out of the question or is 46 the right number? Is, yeah. is it 30? Because I think, 
I mean, Democrats might go, well, based on what happened in this last election, we could go to 60 because we get a lot of votes in before the debate happens in Northern Virginia. We're a lot better off. And so really, what, yeah. what is the, what well, is, the I, is there an ideological underpinning to any I, of this? I don't think You know is. what? I don't think there is because, like, I think the thing in 20 was that Donald Trump went out and told people not to go do it, not to vote early, you know, to vote on Election Day. And he kind of undercut, like, with Republicans or his... Which is, his which is, which is political, yeah. as you know, not smart. No. And Glenn, actually, Glenn Youngkin's campaign embraced it and yeah. had a plan and worked with it. And... You know, so while we like won early vote, we didn't win it by the margin that that we did before. So you know, just go ahead and make it part of your um, of your routine of like what we do. Right. And then you know, everybody's better off. Right. But it is, is. I mean, this. I mean, I, I mean. I can't get into whether it's thirty. Yeah, no, no, I mean, I'm mean, just, you know, I'm just curious. Like, is there is there a legitimate reason to say forty five is too much and thirty is too little? I mean, is is there? You know, I, again, I'm not in a like. I look at like, like, nuances. I mean, what's? I just, I just. I mean, you from look a, at from you, a policy standpoint. I just, I just don't right. get what the problem is. And saying, you know, if we go back, because one of the things that happened in the pandemic is like, oh, we're going to blow it wide open, make sure we get enough ballots out there as possible. And now, if we do anything else like that, you're restricting ballot access, which mm -hmm. is hogwash. It's just hogwash because we were in a pandemic and it was extraordinary circumstances. Mm -hmm. And now, if you reset the game on that and everything else we did in regulatory relief. Okay, now reset the game. Doesn't even work. <laughs> so my point is, what what is yeah. what is legitimate when it comes to yeah. these kind of decisions? Well, and I think you have to be, you know, you have to look at something like, and they go, well, Melon, you know, there's fraud, there's not fraud, fraud, fraud. Well, Utah, a really, really red state, has yeah, all Melon, and they don't have a problem. No. So again, not every like again, like let's look at it like reasonably, and I think we did really good things in a tough time because you were in the pandemic. And there were a lot of people who, you know, really didn't want to go in person to vote. So right. we tried to make it as easy as possible and for people to vote and have that opportunity. Because you don't want anybody denied that opportunity. No, I don't think we, I mean, and look, the Republicans won with a higher turnout this year. Who, you know, and again, up Honestly. until that point, you would have said, and I would have said, high turnout is better for Democrats. And yet. Except this time. Not except this time. Mm -hmm. The Republicans adapted and to the reality of the marketplace mm -hmm. and said, let's just get our people out early and, and we'll model from there. And they were very and, But successful. you know what? And again, that's what I'm saying. I can't like argue against that because that's good for democracy. Sure. You let any more people vote. Again, that's a incredibly high turnout. Yeah, because I remember, I remember some of them election. in Southwest Virginia said, they want to ballot harvest, we'll harvest ballots. You know, let's 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 as do that. As long as it was, yeah. Well, and again, I, I think that. It, it gets, and they say that those get, words. That I'm not tricky. even. I know, but Chris, people say those words. I don't even think they know what they mean half the time. You know, well, they don't have to if, if it's. They, does that mean if, you're if going out up. to the cemetery and get you know like all the old ninth <laughs> district vote yeah, vote early in all? That's never happened I mean, in our nation's history. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> so. but the reality is, you know, the the words have consequences. Mm -hmm. you know, phrases have consequences, mm -hmm. and bumper sticker phrases have electoral impact. Yeah, and this is where I think it's important and coming upon people like yourself, myself, to engage it and go. Wait a second here. Let's yeah. call out our own. That's just not exactly accurate. Mm -hmm. Let's let's not say that if you go from forty-five days early voting to forty-two, that you're limiting access mm -hmm. to the ballot because I don't think that's that big of a deal. Going back to a week out, you can make a legitimate case that you're restricting access mm -hmm. to the ballot, and there's a balance in between all this. And I don't want to get lost on that, but I think in the in this whole uh, conversation, we've lost sense of. You know, um, especially and, in the pandemic, a sense of reality and common sense. Like, can we agree on these basic principles? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, the people who argue about these the most are not impacted by them. Correct. It's the people in these buildings who, like, mm -hmm. you know, if, if legislators were concerned about redistricting as much as they were other people's jobs, 
mm -hmm. have a whole different economy. <laughs> don't answer that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, I don't even want to talk Fair. about redistricting. <laughs> I'll still have a lot of bitterness from the commission, the redistricting, passage of the redistricting commission. And yet here we are. And that's here part, we are. That's, part that's of the, the reality. Look, that's part of the democratic process. Yeah, right? it is. You know, but uh, Susan Swagger, <laughs> chair of the Democratic Party of Virginia, thanks for coming on the VIP podcast. Congratulations. You too are now a VIP. I am. Thank you for having me. And I'll either see you back here or I'll see you in Allen County. I'm sure. Hopefully. <laughs> Yeah. Especially during Maple season. Yeah. When is Maple Festival? Two weeks? I don't think I can go this year. It's in March. So are they having it this year? Yeah, they are having it. So well, Go to the Maple Festival yeah. in Highland County this year. <laughs> it's open for two weekends and uh, hopefully, I think in March. They're usually on the ACC tournament. That's yeah, it, you're exactly right. That's how I always pegged it. Thanks for joining us. Chris Saxman here at the VIP Podcast. Thanks for joining us.